Hey, good morning, everyone. Glad you could join us today, and uh, I'm excited to be here, be able to share a few thoughts with you. Today's a little bit different. Today is, uh, we're in between series. We just finished up a series last week. Next week, we'll begin a brand new series we're very excited about called Simply to Gather, and uh, can't wait for, to, to, for us to jump into that. I know you'll enjoy that, so I hope you'll be back next week to check that out. So today, since we have something a little in between, I thought we might do something a little different. Today, I want to talk to you about some of the things that we learn in life and some principles, some nuggets that we can pick up in life along our way. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, has an interesting comment that I, I was going over in my own uh, devotional time this morning. It kind of struck me to maybe start off and share this with you. Paul said to the Ephesian church, he said, pay careful attention then, be careful attention how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Making most of the time. You know, that's important to us, isn't it? Is to make the most of the time that we have. Now, what I've discovered is that the older I get, the more important that becomes to me. When I was younger, it seemed like I had plenty of time. It was no big deal. The older I get, the more I realize I want to make the most of whatever time I have. So I was pondering that just a little bit. What does it mean to make the most of this time? I think the idea of making the most, at least in part, should include the idea of learning lessons from our life experiences. As we go through life, instead of just wasting experiences, let them come and go, I'm pretty convinced we should learn from them, take what things we can, take the takeaways from those experiences, and build on them. If they're failures, to turn them around. If they're successes, learn how to deal with those as well. Some of the most important lessons to me from life have come from experiences. The classroom surely has its place, no doubt about that, and you can learn a lot of things by reading a book, by hearing a lecture, by listening to a sermon. Uh, you can hear a lot by all of those things, but there's nothing that replaces the experience of life. You can read about how to pitch a baseball. You can watch videos about how to pitch a baseball. You can have coaching how to pitch a baseball, but until you get on the mound and begin to pitch, you're not really going to get the fullness of the experience. We draw nuggets in all areas of life, don't we? We can draw nuggets of wisdom from our relationships, things that we learn about relationships. We need to log away and keep those in mind. Things that we learn about children and from children. It's amazing what our children teach us, and it's amazing how much experience of raising children can develop our wisdom and, and give us more understanding and knowledge about life. We can learn from our profession. We can learn from serving in the community. That's just to name a few things. Today, what I want to do is take a few life experiences I've had in the last couple of weeks and draw some nuggets from them. Uh, many of you know, not everyone, but some of you would know, that uh, I regularly travel to Israel. <clears throat> I just recently came back from my 12th trip to Israel. And um, every time I go, I see a lot of the same stuff, frankly. And people ask me, why do you continue to go back if you're seeing the same things? Well, first of all, I don't always just see the same things. For instance, this time I saw several things that I had never seen and been to a few places I'd never been. But I've also learned that every time I go, I need to focus in not just on the experience of travel in the Holy Land, not just from the educational side, but from the inspirational side, what nuggets can I pick up? What can I glean from that life experience that makes my life a little deeper, a little stronger? 
What, what helps me in my biblical understanding or in my practical application of Scripture or in how I deal with life in general or what my relationship with the Lord is all about. And so what I thought I'd do is share with you some of those nuggets. I always do this. I don't always share it, but I always get some, and I always write them down in my journal. Um, funny, I don't journal that well when I'm at home, but I do journal in the, in the Holy Land. And so I'll, I'll write down these little nuggets that I pick up from some of the places we visit. So if you'll give me just a few moments this morning, I want to share about four of them with you, okay? I've got more, but that's enough for today. Four things that I jotted down in my journal this year as um, having learned from the trip. The first one is this, and, and you've heard this, this is nothing new, but it just was driven home to me. The best things in life often come through perseverance. <laughs> Some of the best things in life often come through perseverance. I was reminded of the words that James wrote. In James chapter 1, he writes these words. He says, Consider great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that's perseverance, and let endurance, perseverance, have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete. Now, most believe these words came from the brother of our Lord, and, and as James writes, he gives us immediately some thoughts that run counterintuitive to our way of thinking, to our culture. He says that we should actually give thanks and, and, and enjoy and, and, and give joy for or joy in our trials, times of trial. He says it's a good thing when a trial presses us to endurance, presses us to persevere, something that we can't just come in and out of, but we have to exercise discipline, we have to exercise endurance and perseverance, and then good things come from that. And James says the good thing is that maturity comes through this perseverance. Well, it leads me to think many good things actually come through perseverance. A baby comes into the world because a mother perseveres in labor, right? Other things happen because we persevere in and through that uh, difficult time. So I thought about this because, frankly, in many ways, this trip to Israel um, was perhaps the most difficult I've ever planned, <coughs> promoted, and, um, and, and moved forward. Uh, it, it was very difficult. Uh, I started planning this trip in early 2020. Probably enough said right there, right? Early 2020, we didn't know what was yet to come in the rest of 2020, let alone 21 and the opening of 22. But the trip was planned two years in advance, and, and we began to build a, a group to go, and the, and the group was, was, a, was getting a, to be a large group, <clears throat> trying to figure all that out. But when COVID came, everything changed, Right? That changed in every sense, and it also changed in this trip to Israel. Because it was still far off, we decided to keep the plan to go on the trip, and yet, more and more, it became difficult to handle. First, there were some missiles that fired from Gaza up into um, uh, in toward Tel Aviv, and, and, and people got scared, and well, maybe we should just cancel. And of course, I, I knew that happened, so I, I didn't think too much of that. But when the COVID restrictions started popping up, and when all of the protocol began to be written down, and it began to get tighter and tighter, I'll tell you, no less than three times, seriously, no less than three times, I was right at the point of canceling the trip. As, as, as late as January 1st of 2022, just days before we left, or weeks before we left, I was ready to cancel the trip. <clears throat> Three times I was on the ledge 
and my travel agent would talk to me and he'd say, he taught me off the ledge. And, and so we persevered. As it turned out, there were 30 people who went on that trip with me. And what's amazing is all of them persevered through difficulties, finding out we have to have vaccines, finding out we have to have a booster, finding out Israel's not opening its borders. We don't know if it'll open its borders. We may not know until two days before we leave whether or not we'll even be able to go. And yet through all of that, the group persevered. It was difficult, but here's the reward. The reward was when we finally got there, even after, frankly, what I dreaded the most was that 11, 10 and a half hour flight with a mask on. When we finally got there, it was incredible. No lines, no people. Now, that's not good for the Israelis, and I was sad to see that for many of my friends over there because their economy is hurting bad, but it's excellent for us. Now, unless you've been there, you can't really understand what's the big deal about that. But if I can, maybe I'll put it this way. Just imagine Disney World with no lines. <laughs> imagine Disney World with a handful of people in the whole Magic Kingdom, and that's what it was like. It was incredible. It reminded me, it reminded me that it's important to persevere, and perseverance often brings about some of the best experiences in life. So when you're going gets tough, so to say, as we've heard it say, when the, when the times are difficult, James says rejoice. Why? Because it produces endurance, and endurance produces maturity of faith. So that was the first thing, and seems kind of little, but it was very big to me. The second nugget that I thought about and jotted down is this. Fulfillment, at least this is my experience and, and where I've been, fulfillment isn't found so much in comfort and ease as it is in accomplishment. <clears throat> now, we all want to be comfortable. We'd rather always have the easy way around things, right? No matter what we're doing, we want it to be easy. We want it, don't want it to be difficult. And yet, some of the most fulfilling and satisfying moments in our life comes through times of stress and difficulty, discipline, hard work, and just tough ways. You know what? Sometimes journey your life journey have you felt this sometimes my life journey feels like it's always an upward climb <laughs> you know what i'm saying just always up always narrow always steep always difficult it seems like just when one thing one rock is turned and and we make some progress another turn around the bend and we got another steep climb to make life is somewhat of that kind of a track well paul wrote to the philippian church and he said some words that i know you're familiar with and uh, maybe you haven't heard them. If not, let me read them for the first time to you because they're incredible. Very encouraging, and I'll read it because it has to do with this next little nugget I want to share. He says this to the Philippian church. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. Now, this is the Apostle Paul and toward the end of his life, and yet he's saying, I haven't reached the goal. That makes me feel better, right? Because we're still striving. We're still shooting for goals out there that are ahead of us. Not that I've reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to lay hold of it because I also have been taken hold by Christ Jesus. And then he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal. Other versions put it this way. I press toward the goal. I press toward the mark. In the original language, the word there means to agonize. It's the word from which we get our word agonize. I agonize toward the goal. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's like a race. It's like an uphill climb. I agonize 
toward the goal of what? I agonize toward the goal of the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I memorized that from the New King James Version. And, and when I did, I liked the way it puts it because it's I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Reminded me of an old hymn we used to sing all the time uh, I'm, uh, about traveling on to upper ground, to higher ground, pressing on to a higher way. Now, what brought that thought to my mind? So this year's Holy Land itinerary took us down to the Dead Sea for an overnight, which was incredible in itself. Um, if you ever have that way, you need to go into the Dead Sea and have that experience. But after the night, uh, spending the night at the Dead Sea, we headed back toward Jerusalem. And on the way back to Jerusalem, we stopped at a place called Masada. Masada. We don't do that in every trip. And so if you've traveled with us before, you say, well, I don't remember that. We don't do it every time, but this time it was on the way up. <clears throat> Crowds were not very big, so we could do pretty much as we wanted to do. So we stopped at Masada. Masada is not a biblical site, but it is a very, very important historical site. Some like to call it the Jewish Alamo, because it was there that the Jews took a final stand against the Roman army and their invasion of Israel. Masada. The Hebrew word is metzada, which means a fortress. So you can imagine that this fortress here in the southern district of Israel, right next to the Dead Sea, about 12 miles east of the town of Arad, is this fortress. It takes the shape something of a mesa. And, and, and when you look at this fortress that is built up, it's incredible. Knowing that height in that day, uh, we're talking in the uh, in the B.C. A.D. turning times, there in, in, um, in 37 is when Masada was started, 37 to 31 B.C. Uh, the story we're talking about occurs in the 70 A.D., 73 to 74 A.D. So in that time period, that height was important because it was difficult for the enemy to scale those heights. In fact, the only way the Romans were able to take the city was to build a, a ramp, a dirt and rock ramp, so they could take a, a, a battering ram up there and make their, force their way into the city. I don't have time to tell the whole story. Long story short, uh, the Romans did conquer the, the, the fortress of Masada, and as a result, there were 960 Sicari rebels, Hebrews, who were hidden there and who committed suicide or else killed each other. We're not sure which one. Today, Masada is an incredibly important, in fact, the second largest or the second most attended place or visited place in all of Israel. Now think of all the sites in Israel, but it's the second most attended. Now back to the crowd situation. This might help you to understand. In this little place, in this little wilderness out in the middle of the desert, this fortress of Masada, typically 750,000 people a year visit it. Now, why am I talking about all this and what does it have to do with perseverance? And what does it have to do with enduring through, pressing on, <clears throat> everything? Uh, I don't have a long bucket list. I've just never really been into that. But if I had a bucket list, one thing that would be on it was to climb up Masada. Now, I've climbed down it several times. Beth and I have climbed down it together. Going down it, uh, we've been able to do, but I've always wanted to climb up it. It's a challenge, no doubt. It's steep, it's rocky, it's difficult, and I uh, have a, a limited time amount to do it because I don't want to hold the rest of the group up. And frankly, as we went over, I never even considered going up it 
But somehow, something happened from the time we left the hotel till the time we got to Masada, about a 20-minute drive. In that time frame, I had the idea, I think now might be the time to do this. After all, I'm 65. I don't know how many more times I can do it. Right now, I'm relatively he uh, healthy. But then I thought, well, Beth's not with me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so I had my guide, Sippy, to let me off at the, start of the foot, at the start of the trail. She took the group on up through the cable car, made their way to the top. And while they were touring the top... I decided to climb the snake path. And as I did, I got to tell you, I went through that snake path often thinking, I am pressing on the upward way, right? I am pressing toward the mark for the prize of the upward call. Now, I understand I'm taking that a bit out of context. That's not really what it's talking about in its context. But in my mind at the moment, I'm thinking the prize is to make it to the top. And I've got to agonize. I have to press. And then something occurred to me. I found myself being thankful for little spots in the trail that leveled off. It was a steep climb, just winding around like a snake with turnabouts all around. And then there would be a strip of level ground. Now, mind you, it may only be 15 feet. It may only be 30 feet at the most. But that little leveling off was helpful because it helped me to let my heartbeat slow down let my lungs take a little bit deeper breath and give me a little bit of refreshment as I walk those few feet. I did that about two times and the thought occurred to me, you know, really, aren't you grateful, Eddie, for those moments in life when things kind of level off? Aren't you glad that a gracious God sees us on this journey that is an upward climb, that is difficult and rough and ragged, and yet he gives us those spaces of even ground? Oh, I began to thank him for that so much. And as I got toward the top, I began to think of the, the, the speech by Winston Churchill. Maybe you recall Winston Churchill gave a speech uh, to, a college, to a, a graduating college class. And his, his speech was really pretty simple. I think, what was it, nine words? He said, never give up, never give up, never, never, never give up. And that certainly was an incredible experience. Now, here's what I thought of as I reached the top. As I reached the top, I thought, you know what? It's a whole lot easier going down, but it's a whole lot more fulfilling going up. It's a whole lot easier to go down that snake path, but it was a whole lot more satisfying having gone up. I think I began to understand what Paul was saying when he was saying, yes, it's hard, but agonize, because as you agonize, there is a prize at the end. And you see, the prize that I'm thinking about when I'm at the top is not getting to the top. The prize is the Lord Jesus. The prize is the heavenly calling of God. The prize is to endure the difficult trek of this life because there is a prize that awaits the child of God. And it's not just reaching the top. It is the Lord Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, that is there. And then I thought, number three, I found a really pretty cool experience. I, I thought, you know, um, um, repetition is good for the soul. Repetition is good for the soul. I, I, again, I've been there many, many times, and people say, well, why in the world do you keep going? Repetition is good for me. This time we baptized in the Jordan River at a different site than I've ever done before. Usually we do it up at the, the, the Sea of Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee flows into the Jordan River uh, on the south end. Usually we do it right there. And, and not that it's particularly clean spring water, but it's not too, too bad, not, not too 
muddy or unclear. This time we did it down at a place that is known simply as, um, uh, as Bethany, which is east East or, or, or east of uh, west of Jericho, I'm sorry, and, and, and east of the Jordan is the way it's described in, in, in John's gospel. So we're, we're baptizing this different spot. It's down in the wilderness. It's right across uh, from, uh, or not exactly, but closely across from Jericho. But when we got down there to the Jordan River, it's only a few feet wide at that point, and Jordan is on the other side, but the water is muddy. The water is an, a muddish orange color. And, and we're like, do we really want to go down in that water? And that, is, that, is that really what we want to do? Because it really looks like orange and not very clean. My mind immediately went back to an Old Testament story. And I don't have time to read it all or to tell it all. But the story is, of, is told of a Syrian um, combat warrior called Naaman. And Naaman had a skin disease. And the short story is Naaman goes down to the prophet Elisha in Israel because he hears that he might heal him of this skin disease. And when he gets to Elisha, Elisha says to him, Oh, yeah. In fact, he doesn't need to come out. He tells his servant to tell him, Go, go, go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you'll come up clean. And Naaman's response is classic. Here's what he says, 2 Kings 5. He says, Aren't Arba, Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned in a rage. Now, I immediately thought that story because I felt the same way. Why are we, this is the Jordan River. We all want to be baptized here. And yet the Itchtuckney River, just down just a few half mile, mile from my house, is much prettier, much cleaner, much more inviting. But here's the thing. What I think we come to understand is that obedience to God was the difference. In fact, he told him, he said, not only just go in the water and dip, he said dip seven times. I've heard so many messages, and maybe you have too, of pre preachers who say, what would have happened if he'd only done a, dipped one time? Well, he wouldn't have been healed. What if he'd have dipped three times? He wouldn't have been healed. What if he'd have dipped six times? No, it was obedience, and the seventh time had to occur, and he wasn't free of that skin disease until the seventh time. So as I'm thinking about this and pondering all this in my head, I jotted down these notes. I jotted down this thought because I wanted to keep it in my mind. Repetition is good for the soul. And so repetition has been good for me. And by the way, repetition is good for you. You say, why do I need to read my Bible every day? Why do I need to pray every day? Why, why do I need to be at church every Sunday? Why do we need, uh, we're just the same. Oh, no, 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 hold on. Repetition is good for you. It builds habits. It builds disciplines. It builds in you important characteristics. And so keep that in mind. One final thing, one final thing, and I'll be quick. In dark places, here's what I jotted down. In dark places, we all need encouragement. In dark places, we all need encouragement. When we're in Jerusalem, one of my favorite stops is Hezekiah's tunnel. 2 Kings chapter 20 refers to it. 2 Kings 20 says the rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign, along with all his might and how he made the pool and the tunnel and brought water into the city, were written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Now, I'm not going to take the time to tell you that story. You can go back and research it yourself. But in essence, uh, Hezekiah and his people did an incredible thing by drilling a tunnel, starting at one end of the mountain and another group starting the other. They met uh, somewhere in the middle and created a tunnel to supply water in a safe way to the people of Jerusalem. Now, here's what's important. You can still go in that tunnel today. <laughs> and it's not uh, made up for tourists at all. In fact, we uh, had to gather ourselves together, put on our water shoes, roll up our pants legs, and 
put on our caps, a headlamp, because it's dark. There's water flowing in it. And if you walk through it, you need that light because it is pitch black without it. Now, here's what I learned. I took up the rear this time. I want to make sure everybody got out safely. And so I'm at the end. And I'm listening to those people who are ahead of me. Of course, they're not too far ahead, and I'm listening. And they're saying things like, they're turning to say to the person behind them, hey, watch your step here, there's a hole. Or watch your head right there, the, the ceiling is low. Or watch your step, the water gets deeper right here. Or the water is nice and shallow here. All of these little terms, all of these words of encouragement that are passed down. And I couldn't help but smile as I walked through the tunnel and as I listened, because I'm listening to people who, by the way, just days ago didn't even know each other and now because they have a common bond because they're in a common place because they're in a common difficult place a stretch of of of, of um, tour now they begin to help each other and give words of encouragement along the way i think that is tremendous i couldn't help but think of the writer of Hebrews who said in chapter 10, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another. Listen, listen, church. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching really all I want to say on that because next week we'll be talking about this idea of gathering together and why gathering together is so important. But at least a part of that reason is because we need encouragement when we're going down dark trails. We need encouragement when we're going through tunnels with running swift water. We need encouragement when the way gets stiff and, and hard and steep and difficult. We need it when we need to persevere because everything is working against us. We need the help of other people. Just a few of the nuggets. But of course, number one, always in my heart, is communion at the garden tomb. Communion at the garden tomb happens pretty much every way, the same way with every group. This one was no different other than the fact that we were only ones there. No different, though, because there at the garden tomb, we first go in and witness the fact that there's no body in the tomb. Secondly, we come into a space that's designated for us, and we take bread and we take a cup. And we take the, the bread and the cup to remember our Lord's body crushed for our behalf and His blood shed for us. We remember there his death. And we remember not only that he died, but why he died. And what happened when he died. And we celebrate the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for his own sins. He didn't die for his own mistakes. He died for us. He died for me. His blood was shed to atone for my sins. His body was crushed because the, the iniquities of my sin, the, the punishment of my sin was placed on him. With his stripes, Isaiah said, we're healed. We celebrate that. But then we look at the empty tomb and we remember that everything he said is validated by the fact that not only did he die, anyone can die. Anyone can die for a good cause. Anyone can die for a good reason. But only God can predict his death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off. What a celebration. I know you do not have to go to Israel to understand that. You do not have to be at the garden tomb to understand that. But the garden tomb always brings that back to my memory 
And I wanted to close this discussion with you today on that note and say the good news is not only did he die for me, but he died for you. The better news is you don't have to go to the Holy Land to receive that gift of eternal life. You don't have to go to Gordon's Calvary or the Church of the Sepulchre in order to receive the forgiveness of sins right there where you are. You can invite Jesus into your life. You can surrender your life to him, turning from your sin and placing your trust and faith in him. You can do that right now, right where you are. Just a few thoughts, just a few nuggets that I brought back with me from the Holy Land. Better than any souvenir I could buy, these nuggets will steer my life in the days to come. Maybe you're here today and you're listening today and you're thinking, wow, I need that relationship with Christ. I, don't, I, need, to, I need to know more about it. Well, guess what? <laughs> There's people waiting right now to respond to you. There's people right now waiting to pray with you or talk with you, chat with you. They're, they're here. They're live. They're ready. They're, they're waiting on you to respond. Maybe you could just let us know, hey, I, I need Christ in my heart. Or maybe you would say to us today, hey, I've invited Christ into my heart. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to celebrate with you. In the meantime, hold on to some of these nuggets and be back next week and be ready to learn about why it's important to gather together. May I pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to serve you. And may you, Lord, bless our hearts and break our hearts, mend our hearts, and take our hearts into your care and into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.